Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. I hope you're having a wonderful day. It's absolutely gorgeous here in Minnesota, which is nice because we've had an awful lot of storms and people have been with out power and phones and cable for quite some time here. So hopefully you're all safe and sound where, where you're located. Before we start the show, I always like to just give people a little bit of background about what Alzheimer's Speaks is all about because we're always getting new listeners. And bottom line, we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe by joining forces and sharing our knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia that we, together, can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those in the trenches get back their lives and live with purpose. Together, we can help everybody understand the true needs of this disease and remove those nasty myths and stigmas attached to dementia. At our core, we believe collaboratively we really can win this battle. I'm seeing so much progress made all around the world, and I absolutely love my job and the opportunity to talk to so many passionate people. And I have to, again, thank each and every one of our listeners because you play such an important role by taking the time to just tweet us and like us and share us on Facebook, emailing episodes to your friends, sharing them on LinkedIn, um, all the different platforms that are around there that just literally take a second of your time is making a big difference because you're getting these educational, informational conversations out to people who really, really need them. And I know that you're making a difference because Alzheimer's Speaks was um, recognized as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And if you're not familiar with Share Care, they are uh, that's a company that was devised by Dr. Oz and Jeff Arnold, who used to own WebMD, and their goal is to be the best and biggest um, health and wellness website on the Internet. So check them out. There's great conversations there, and they have all different types of categories kind of for the top ten um, in uh, industry categories. I also want to let you know that, um, you know, 
one of one of my big goals here at Alzheimer's Speaks is really to remove the fear of this disease. I just don't think that it's appropriate anymore to scare people about this disease. I think it's time to give hope and to help people live with the disease, not as it. And that is part of our our core mission here. So we, you know, invite all of you to participate, and you can do that by utilizing the chat box and typing in a comment or a question, or you can call in live to the show at 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757, and you'll be asked to push one. That will get you into my waiting room so that I know that you're there. Um, Now, I always like to highlight a couple of um, companies that I I think are really important. And and the first organization is Alzheimer's Disease International because they are the organization of organizations all around the world. And so if you're looking for support anywhere in the world, go to Alzheimer's Disease International, and that is www.alz.com. CO.UK, and you'll be able to find the closest association to you. I also, um, you know, I'm a, kind of a music freak, and so um, I also like to mention Coral Health because they have such a um, neat application called Music First, which you can actually download onto your phone and get music specific to the needs of the person with dementia. They also have a faith-based genre there as well. And then Alzheimer's Studies, um, and you can just go to alzheimerstudies.com and you can find them on Facebook as well, uh, has some trials uh, that are out now with Tau. And Coral Health, I I forgot to mention, is www.coro.health.com. Dot com. Uh, we also get a lot of people dealing with Lewy body. And so if, um, if you happen to have Lewy body, you know, you, uh, there is an association um, specific just to that that can really help you as well. And you can find them either on the website or on Facebook, but they just do a, a fabulous job as well. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and get the show um, moving along here. We've Our first guest, uh, I think this is really exciting, uh, we're going to be talking about the blondes versus burnouts. And um, we have two very special ladies with us today. In fact, I just found out that both their birthdays are on Saturday, so we might have to sing them a little happy birthday song. Uh, The first uh, person I want to introduce is Brianna Olson, and she is the brunette chair of the Alzheimer's Association's Blonde versus Burnette Twin Cities, which is in Minnesota here. She's a native um, of Minnesota who recently moved back with her boyfriend, Brandon, to help take care of her mother, who was diagnosed with early onset in 2007 at the age of 58. Brianna played two seasons for the team Brunette in Washington, D.C., where she also served on the executive committee, committee and her boyfriend coached uh, Team Brunette to a victory in 2011. So, woo-woo, 
for that. Since her mother's diagnosis, Brianna has become passionate about Alzheimer's advocacy and fundraising. In addition to serving in a leadership role for the Blondes versus Burnett Twin Cities, um, Brianna is also a member of the Alzheimer's Association Blondes versus Burnett's National Advisory Council, which meets regularly to discuss opportunities to expand the success of the Blondes versus Burnett games across the country. Brianna works in government affairs and she's finishing her master's degree from John Hopkins University, and she's a passionate Vikings fan. So welcome, Brianna. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Lori. We're just really excited to be here today. Well, I, I'm just thrilled to have you. Let me uh, get your cohort here uh, introduced, and then we can we can start our conversation. Alyssa uh, Kiske-Bartel is the blonde chair of the Alzheimer's Association, Blonde versus Burnett's Twin Cities. She has strong ties to the Minnesota community since she was uh, born and raised and currently lives in the Twin Cities. Her dad was diagnosed with early onset at 56 and just entered hospice uh, care after living with the disease for almost eight years. This is Alyssa's first year with the Blondes versus Burnettes, but she has volunteered for the Alzheimer's Association for several years through the um, Walk to End Alzheimer's and different advocacy work. She recently attended the Alzheimer's Association Advocacy Forum in Washington, D.C., which is a fascinating thing to do. If you haven't done that, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's educational and it's inspiring, um, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful setting to boot. Um, Alyssa resides here in St. Anthony, Minnesota, with her husband and three kids, and she is working hard to tackle Alzheimer's. Welcome, Alyssa. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Lori. Well, good. Um, before we start, I'm just, uh, I know you both have been touched by the disease, um, and I'm going to throw this first to Brianna, but it's just, it's kind of nice to um, hear a little more personal take on that. Uh, I think it just gives our, our viewers a little more insight to where you're coming from. So I'm going to pose this question to both of you, um, and we'll start with Brianna. Brianna, what was the most difficult part of this disease for you? you what's been the most difficult piece well that's a that is a tough question um i think probably watching um my mother she has always been um really the strongest woman that i have ever known uh she has raised both myself and my older sister she's been a wonderful grandmother to my sister's kids um she was a nurse all of her life and so um She's always had that care, that very caring spirit about her where she would just do anything for anybody every single day of every hour of every week. And um, when her, she was diagnosed back in 2007, it was a really rough year um, for our family. Um, within just a couple months of one another, my parents first were um, going to the Twins game one night, crossing over the 35W bridge when it collapsed. So they were on the bridge and they survived the bridge collapse. And then, oh, geez. Uh, just, yeah, <laughs> it's it really crazy. Then just a couple yeah. weeks later, my uh, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, 
um, and he has fought that, and he has survived prostate cancer. And then my mom was diagnosed as the trifecta with Alzheimer's, and this is something that she will not be able to survive from since there is no cure. So I think uh, it's, it's you know, she's doing great. She still lives at home. She's certainly progressing, but I think part of the, the hardest part of it is just seeing that she wants to do so much to still care for and take care of everyone around her whom she loves, and it's just more difficult on a day-to-day basis. And that's just her spirit and what her her being is, and I know that she struggled with it, and it's that's pretty difficult to watch. Yeah, you guys really got um, tramboozled on with with all of that. I mean, those none of those are little things, and to happen so close together, um, I would imagine that really makes you scramble and then also really have to put things in perspective as well. Um, so thank you for sharing that. How about you, Alyssa? Um, well, my dad was diagnosed about eight years ago, and um, we actually found out about a month after I got married. So we found out that his work had been kind of keeping it um, not that he had um, Alzheimer's, but just that he was having trouble at work, um, a secret for a while. I, they were waiting until I got married. And then as soon as I got married, they gave my dad a letter. And so that's how we ended up going to the Mayo Clinic and he got his diagnosis. So that was a rough year for us. Um, my dad had a lot of um personality changes that happened after he was diagnosed and so we dealt with a lot of frustration and anger and finding resources was difficult in the beginning um and i would say one of the hardest things about the diagnosis is that um as soon as you figure out resources and able to kind of remedy one situation it drastically changes and you have to you're challenged to find a whole new set of resources and answer a whole new set of questions so that's always a ongoing challenge with um for our family but other than that just watching his dignity taken away and watching him slowly not be able to function has just been really traumatic to watch so so i'd say those are the hardest things on our end Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing this and and thank you both for for your advocacy. I just think it's it's really exciting what you're doing and and how fun um to have this this game that you're playing. I'd like you to um tell us and I'll throw this to Brianna. What exactly is the Blondes versus Brunettes and and how did it get started? <laughs> uh, so Blondes versus Brunettes is a volunteer-driven event focused towards young people um, to bring young professionals together to support the Alzheimer's Association. It was uh, organized around a flag football game back in 2005, so um, it's in its maturity now. Uh, And it's kind of started where there were a group of women out in Washington, D.C., who were all trying to figure out a way to honor the father of of one of the friends Um, who was diagnosed and had passed away from Alzheimer's. And one of their favorite pastimes, her and her father, was watching football. So they thought it would be a nice way to honor her father by creating a football game. 
And um, as they were <clears throat> exploring the idea of what they might do, they looked around the room around their own group of friends and saw that they were about split between blondes and brunettes, so they decided that's how they would determine who was on which team. <laughs> um, they went out, they raised $10,000 in, yeah, $10, in that first year, which is amazing. And um, it's since now um, grown, since 2005, it's in over 30 cities across the country and has collectively raised more than $3 million dollars. Um, to support local chapters of the Alzheimer's Association. Wow, that's fantastic! Three million dollars—that's uh, that's a lot of chunk of change. And um, and I love how many cities it's in. And you, you know, the concept. I think one of the the fun things with it too is that you've you've kept it light and you've kept it fun. Um, and not not so complicated. You know, um, just in terms of. You know, okay, you're blonde, you're brunette. Oh, we need another one. Go dye your hair. I suppose might even occur <laughs> with to get on the right side. I, I don't, I don't know. But um, you know, that's that's just a, a really a neat way to be able to engage people. Um, can you tell me kind of average age? And uh, um, Alyssa, I'll throw this out, out to you um, of people that get involved. Um. Most people are in their 20s and 30s that are getting involved as far as players are concerned, but we do have a lot of other volunteers that are needed, um, and a lot of times those, um, we even have kids that will get involved, um, so we'll have them volunteer on game day, and we have um, people that may not want to play that become what we call super fans and or cheerleaders and they can do their own fundraising and they are they volunteer at our events helping with setup take down all sorts of those um anything that may need to be done and then on game day we just need tons of volunteers so the players though typically range from um we do require them to be 21 since some of the events are held at bars and uh but they typically are in the 20s and 30s. Okay. And if somebody wanted to volunteer um, to help on the sidelines um, or set up or what I, I would imagine you need a ton of different uh, categories, uh, maybe you need a water girl, I don't know, <laughs> you know um, those types of things, how, how would they get a hold of you? What's the best way? And, well, they can uh, always... They can mm -hmm. always email us at bvbtwincities at gmail.com. And we also do have a Facebook page, and that's Blondes versus Brunettes Twin Cities that they can find us on as well. Um, if they let us know how they want to get involved, we'll add them to the list. And as we have the volunteer sign-up set up, we, we will definitely reach out to them. Um, and then they can also sign up if they do want to be a cheerleader, a super fan. Um, and then we are, we also do have, um, the coaches are all male because we wanted to make one position. Since the players can, can only be female, we wanted to offer something exclusive to men. Um, so our coaches are men. They can, and they also have to fundraise. They can do that through reaching us, reaching out to us on Facebook or through that email address at bvbtwincities at gmail.com. 
Okay, great. And so you do have, I, one of my questions was going to be asking if you have cheerleaders or um, mascots. Um, and is there a mascot, um, Brianna? We don't have a mascot quite nailed down yet, though I know a lot of people have pets. They have dogs, so there probably is going to be a pet showdown of who's the mascot, and <laughs> we'll see. But uh, we don't have anything set. We're, we're welcoming ideas if anyone has them to post on our Facebook page. <laughs> okay. And, you know, if you go to their page and like the page, that would be great, and share it with your friends. Again, just another way to just help raise awareness. It just takes a click. Not much of your time, not going to cost you anything, but will have a big impact. And, you know, to be able to be involved with something like this would just be, I think, a, a fun, fun experience. Um, whereabouts is this going to be held, Brianne? The game day is on October 12th. We just kicked off our season on the 21st, which is the Alzheimer's Association's longest day. From here till then, we'll have tryouts, we'll have practices, and then we kick off on game day October 12th. The location is at Claw Stadium, which is at Hamlin University, who has graciously agreed to host us for our inaugural game. We're very excited to be able to be there. Oh, that's neat. Now, did I see that you're having a draft party as well? We sure are, yes. So uh, we had our kickoff party on the 21st, like I just said, and then mm -hmm. we will post tryouts with the team. There won't be any cuts, so anyone who's listening that might want to come out and try out for the team, we aren't basing that whatsoever on skill. Most people are coming without any football experience. Um, we're just looking to make sure that people are committed to the cause. So there are six opportunities to try out. To make the team, you show up and attend three of those, and then you meet the $250 fundraising minimum by draft day. And our draft party is July 25th. It's at Glick's in downtown Minneapolis from 6.30 to 8.30. And then uh, both game day and the draft party are open to all fans, supporters, anyone who wants to get involved, learn more, or just support the cause. Okay, wonderful. Um, well, that that'll be that'll be fun. Now, when you know, I've never done a draft party. I I like football, but I, you know, I'm not into the fantasy football or following. I I I know that it's very involved. Can you explain what a draft party is? How that how that goes down? I guess, <laughs> and what actually happens, Brianna. Sure, yeah. Uh, so I was involved in two draft parties when I played for Team Brunette out in Washington, D.C. Um, really, it's just an opportunity to socialize and network. I think a big part of um, what you get from being involved in this is a great group of friends who are all passionate about the cause, and uh, they really truly become some of your closest friends. So it's an opportunity for people to continue to build that relationship uh, but then a lot of the fun of it is just meeting the players. So we'll literally have someone there as an announcer, and there's a stage, and we will call up players one by one to welcome them to either Team Blonde or Team Brunette if they met the two um, the two requirements needed to make it onto the team. So just a fun event uh, to get us all excited and geared up for the season. Okay. And then do we do we want to mention what the requirements are for players? Is that of interest to your listeners, Lori? Oh, I th oh, I think so, definitely. So we require every player and coach to raise a minimum of three hundred and fifty dollars. Um, you need to raise two hundred and fifty by draft day, which is the July twenty fifth date that 
um, Brianna was just talking about, and um, and then an- another additional hundred by game by the game day. Um, other than that, you have to attend at least half of the six tryout practices, and you have to be at a reasonable amount of practices throughout the season. So, and the coaches will kind of define what that's going to be. But those are the ways that we, you know, make sure that people stay committed and engaged um, along the way, and people people really step up to the plate and. Um, and really get involved and show their commitment. Okay, wonderful. Are you going to, um, you know, I would think the press would just love something like this. Have you have you gotten much response from them, or have you not even really approached them yet? Or Yeah, we recent, uh, recently um, got a public relations sponsor that's helping us out. But we have already been on the Care 11 Saturday morning show. Um, We've been on another internet radio show, and recently Twin Cities Live approached us to be on their show as well. So we're still in the planning stages on that one. But we are getting attention. Yeah. Wonderful. And you should. So if we have any listeners out there that have any contacts um, that might be interested, please, you know, get a hold of these ladies. And that's a, that's another thing that you can do, um, you know, when you're listening to any of our shows. If you've got some contacts and people you think might be interested, make the connection. It, again, very simple to do, but reach out and make the connection. Um, because, again, this this is not something that is uh, a one-person show. We're all tied together on this, and dementia is affecting all of us, not just individuals, not just families, but our communities and our society at large. And so it's very important for us to, to work together as a group. Um, Brianna, can you mention a few of the other cities that were involved in in the uh, the blondes versus brunettes? Just so our, our listeners are, you know, all over the world. But it would yes. be nice to nice for them to know because maybe they could contact a a local chapter, um, or maybe they want to start something up in their own neck of the woods, or even out of the country. And yeah, follow certainly have here. to do that. Um, so it started in Washington D.C. What kind of happens is. Um, the women who play end up, um, you know, going around and settling into different locations, and they can't imagine once being a part of BVB not having that remain a part of their life. So they sprout out to a different city and decide to launch a game there, or they may have a sister in another city who watches their sibling play in a different place and decides to launch one in a new city. So right now um, a few of those cities include uh, Austin, Charlotte, Chicago, Buffalo, New York, New York City, Dallas, Houston, Denver, uh, Los Angeles, Kansas City. Um, They're really all around the country. And I know that if you go to the Alzheimer's Association, you can find Blondes versus Brunettes online, and they're looking to put up a list with links to each of those locations. I'm also more than happy by serving on the National Advisory Council if anyone wants to know if there is a game in their area, they can send an email to that bvbtwincities at gmail.com account, and I'd be happy to put them in touch or send them information for a game near them. 
Okay, that would be wonderful. Is there like a a national website for these or not? They are. There is, um, and they're continuing to work on developing it. So the games have found, obviously, with so much success, raising $3 million, the National Association has um, now put some effort behind being able to support Blondes versus Brunettes from the national level. Um, all the money goes to the local chapters, and we have great support here from the Minnesota-North Dakota chapter. Um, but since they've all, the money goes to the local chapters, it's mainly up until just the last couple of years been supported by those more local organizations. Um, so National is doing a great job building it out, and we continue to look to do more um, from the National perspective. They definitely have a Blondes versus Brunettes Facebook page where they post information about the games and events that are happening throughout the country. So that would be another great place for your listeners to um, to go find more information. Wonderful. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Now, as far as um, seating and things like that, is there um, is there a fee to get into the games, or is it free? I, I would imagine that there's a cost to come watch the games in order to raise funds, but maybe I'm wrong. Can you explain that? We're recommending um, a $25 donation. Um, and that can be done through any player's fund um, fundraising page, or it can just be a donation to Team Blonde or Team Brunette. Um, and then what we are doing is we're keeping track of all those names. And when you come on game day, we'll have a list. And you can also make a donation at the door as well. So there isn't a, a ticket as you would have for a normal a normal game but um okay. but we are asking for donations. Okay. Okay. Well that's that's fair enough. And now you had mentioned cheerleaders. Do you typically have um formal cheerleaders or is that uh kind of pulled together you know like the teams are as well or or have you had um cheerleaders or maybe even bands you know come to offer to play? Um, and cheer you on. Yeah, and we I'll, are still. Oh, go uh, ahead. We are sure. still working on some of those details, but we are currently booking a band that will play at halftime, and then we are going to work on um, finding somebody to hopefully sing and announce at the game. So um, those are some of the things we're working on. Cheerleaders, the the position of cheerleader isn't um, as traditional as a normal cheerleader. We're not really expecting people to come out and do a routine. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, unless they want to, that, that mm-hmm. could be arranged. But um, it's more, when we say cheerleader, we're more looking for people who want to start a fundraising page, want to raise some money, and then also want to volunteer at some of the events and help out when needed. And okay, so you're not do, the cheerleaders do need to declare their allegiance to either Team Blonde or Team Brunette. Yeah. And so um they're welcome to attend any of the practices to help out with anything, should they have the time or desire to do so. And then we normally will do um in DC and I think we'll we'll plan on doing that here as well in the Twin Cities. The day before the game we'll get together with the team and do a team dinner 
and all players, cheerleaders, super fans, coaches supporting that particular team will be together and we'll make signs and um, give some fun things to the cheerleaders so that they can get out there and uh, support the, their, their respective teams on game day. Okay. So cheerleader isn't necessarily a yay, rah, rah, doing cheers to the crowd then. It's it's really just a, a super fan more. Is that, am I reading that right? Yep. 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 Okay. Okay. Just wanted to, to make sure that I was on the on the right page with that. Um, now, do you, are you both looking at, um, in terms of, how do I want to say this? In terms of your group, is it just the two of you that are in charge or do you have a full board that assists you with this? And um, yes, we have. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Lori. No, I was just going to throw it to one of you, but go ahead. <laughs> that's fine. You're jumping in, so that's oh, great. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, we do have a full board that supports us. So, in addition to the two of us, we have another uh, six people that are in charge of different areas. So we have somebody in charge of events. We have somebody in charge of game day operations, someone leads sponsorship, um, someone leads, um, is the liaison between us and the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, so, yeah, and we are always looking for people to serve on those specific committees. So if anyone um, that is listening today or knows someone that uh, wants to serve on any of those committees, they can always reach out to us through that bvbtwincities at gmail.com account. Okay, and that's B as in boy, V as in Victor for the verse, and then B again for brunettes, correct? Right. For blondes versus brunettes. Yes. Yep, yep. So when you say it fast, sometimes the Bs and the Vs are hard to to, uh, tell apart there, so I just wanted to clarify that for people. Um, And how long does the game usually last, and, and what time will it start? Do you know those things, or...? We're we're nailing down the exact start time. It'll probably be right around the one o'clock in the afternoon time frame on October twelfth. The mm-hmm. game is um, fifteen minute quarters, and then we'll have a halftime show. We'll open it up in the beginning by announcing players and singing the Star Spangled Banner. We also will have family friendly activities at the game, so that kids can come and um, they probably can't sit on a bleacher for an hour and a half <laughs> to watch all of the activities happening, so plenty to do. Um, But I would say all in all it will be right around an hour and a half to two hours with all things said from the beginning of the uh, program to the end. Okay. You know who I was thinking would be great if you were looking for a singer is, uh, I can't remember his last name, but it was Nicholas something and he was on The Voice. Um, And he's local here from Minnesota. And I know that he used to do a lot of singing. His dad was... um, at Oak Meadows, where a friend of mine worked, and so I know that he, uh, you know, he and he's done just a ton of volunteer work. I saw him on TV, I don't know, probably a few weeks ago, and they interviewed him, and he said he was back home, and he was just doing, you know, he's big into giving back, and so he might be a great um, uh, one to to call, and I think he'd have a really good draw for you as well if he could work into his into his schedule. I can't remember his name. Do you guys remember his name at all? Who I'm referring to, his name was Nicholas. He's got a really unique voice. 
and um, a real large following now after he's, he was on The Voice. Yeah, we do know who you're talking about, and actually we have a contact with him. So we are reaching out to him. He, you know, hopefully we can get him involved in some capacity, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we are working on it. We're pretty yeah. much um, reaching out to everyone we can at this point to see who's interested in getting involved. So a lot sure. of a lot of people are saying yes right away. So I'm anticipating the spots are going to fill up quickly. Wonderful. So listeners, again, if you've got some ideas or you've got some connections, uh, let the let the girls know and um, you know help help with this process that would be a really nice way to be able to to give back and and make a difference you know on a whole there for that um are are you planning at all for the following year for um for a follow up game have you gotten that far yet i would imagine that's something that um you'll probably be booking fairly quickly after after this one if you haven't already um, yeah, we're we're planning on making this an annual event. This isn't a one-time thing. This is just the starting point in our opinion. So, um we so we're already having people that for some reason aren't able to get involved this year. Um pregnancy seems to be a real big reason why people aren't able to play this year. Um <laughs> but we always remind them there's always next year. So, so yeah, we we do plan on doing this um every year in the future. So until okay. um hopefully until we find a cure. That would be nice if that rolled around quicker than than planned and with raising the funds um you know can can only help with that. That's that's absolutely wonderful. I think I think this is just a really really cool Cool idea. Do any of the cities ever have more than one game or at different levels? I'm just wondering if um, if there was interest even for a high school team, you know, or that age to be able to do this. Um, it, because, you know, a lot of younger kids are starting to have parents that are dealing with this as well, wanting to be involved. In, and I, has there been any discussion in terms of expanding it? Um, and I know that you wanted, you know, 21 and over because some, you know, dealings uh, are, are in bars and things, and I understand that, but uh, of doing something for a different demographic as well. Because I, I could see that as, as being uh, something that would be embraced too. And it would be a great way to, oh, you know, um, do some awareness at that school level. Yeah, so, Brianna definitely. Has, has, hmm? I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Um, I, yeah, I think there's all options are on the table. Um, when BVB started back in 2005, there really wasn't um, a big way, a big presence um, for even young professionals to step up and get involved in a way that was um, – kind of fun and interesting that would bring in people that wouldn't necessarily normally get involved with this sort of thing. Um, so right now the games, they're just a, there's only one game per city, uh, but as it's growing in popularity, I would imagine uh, that there will be some expanded games, um, perhaps maybe even a national tournament where we could play against some of the other cities. A few of us on the National Council have talked about how fun that might be. Um, in fact, even in one of the cities in Texas, 
they have so many people come to tryouts that the first year participants are red-shirted and they have to raise money and attend a certain amount of things to be considered to play for the next year. So um, that's a great problem for that for that city to have. Uh, perhaps at one point they might split up and do a couple games or have a couple squads or do a tournament. Uh, but at this point, it's just one per city, and I think it's a. I think that you have you make a very uh, important point, Lori. There's someone who will be playing on Team Brunette, whose mother recently passed away from Alzheimer's, and when she was diagnosed, her um, son, the Brunette player's brother, was in high school, and uh, there are more and more young people who are impacted by this disease, and they have fewer people who have um who are in the same in the same situation as them. So, I think the more we can do to make sure that we're reaching out and including the even younger generation than what we're looking at here as young professionals um and whatever it might be that would be most interesting to them or most appealing to that demographic, I think it's a great thing to keep in mind and see how we can all help with that. Yeah, and then yeah. I just had one other thing to add. Um sure. So, the Blondes versus Brunettes is uh, is a big fundraiser, and it actually falls under a group called the Young Champions. And the Young Champions are a group of young professionals, typically in their 20s and 30s, that are doing advocacy work and doing fundraisers um, to try and find, you know, to end Alzheimer's. So. Um, it's important for us to mention them because um, in the past there hasn't been a whole lot of resources for people to get involved um, that are younger. It's been um, for us that have that are in our 20s and 30s or even in our teens that are finding out our parents have um, Alzheimer's, the only options were to go to these older groups where they're, the issues that they're dealing with are quite different. So um, the Young Champions has been really great in pulling young people together and giving them a voice. And then also they even have their own support group. So if any of your listeners know of somebody, um, you know, in their teens or 20s or 30s that could benefit from a support group, um, you know, they can, again, reach out through that um, bvbtwincities at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to put them in touch with, with that group as well. Okay, yeah, I think that that would be, I think that would be great, because there's, I, I just think there's just such a huge need, and it would be a great way to embrace other ages. Um, you know, I mean, you could even, you could even do different age groups because, you know, I, I mean, I'm in my fifties, but, you know, I, I think I'm still in my thirties. <laughs> right. And, um, so, you know, you could get different age groups out there and, um, even grandkids and stuff in terms of playing flag football. I mean, they would be just a hoot and a half to watch and are are dealing with it. it it could be really interesting to do intergenerational and have different levels i know that makes things a lot more complicated um but it could be a really cool day for a family to be involved in all those different levels of the game as well 
Um, so my mind always spins with, <laughs> with different things. Um, and it would be a great way to be able to introduce it into the schools possibly too um, right. and to combine it with an educational program. One thing we are kind of playing with for this year, we're not sure if it's going to happen or not, is um, having, during halftime, having kids come out and play um, play football during halftime. So we are, we are, you know, always looking for ideas like that. So any ideas that your listeners may have, we would love to hear about them, and um, we'd love to implement as many of them as we as we possibly can. Yeah. The the other thing I'm just thinking from a marketing standpoint that would be kind of fun is, you know, we used to have the Homer hankies, but given you're playing flag football would be to have a hanky that people could purchase, um, you know, for that just to wave and do, you know, maybe a yellow one and a brown one for the blondes versus brunettes um, in the game. And, um that would be a, I think that would be kind of a fun thing to be able to have it be good visual, be a reminder for the next year. And, you know, how people with the Homer hankies, and the, granted that was on a, a bigger scale, but, I mean, people save them, you know, and it's about creating memories and, and so forth. So, I don't know, just a thought, just a thought with that. So I, I just think this is so exciting. What does, uh, I'll throw this to Brianna first, what does your family think about your involvement in this? Oh, they have been so supportive. Uh, they, my parents actually, the the 2011 season when I was playing out in Washington, D.C., uh, my sister and I bought them plane tickets so that they could come out and actually watch the game and cheer on Team Brunette, of course, Uh but they are just, um, I think it's interesting when young people have a parent who's diagnosed, sometimes the roles start to switch a bit and you want to be able to care for your parent. And um, I, they, I think that they're just, they're very proud. Um, they were at the kickoff rally and shared their story with all of the players and coaches who were there on the 21st. Um, so they're also very involved in um, I, my mom and dad are so brave, I would say. They have been outspoken advocates to talk about their experiences, um, and I know that's something that isn't easy, so um, they're really they're proud of what we're oh, doing. Very cool. And um, was that Brianna that just talked? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And, and how, <laughs> Melissa, how about you? What, what does your family think about all this? Um, you know, I don't really know what my dad thinks about it, um, just because he's so advanced in the disease at this point. Um, a lot of times we're not even sure he recognizes us, but my mom definitely is proud and is pretty much bursting at the seams to tell anyone that will listen about blondes versus brunettes and what Brianna and I have been able to do so far with it. So, yes, there definitely um there's definitely a lot of positivity that's coming out of it and and actually even my brother's involved. He's on our planning committee as well. So, um she has two of us that she gets to talk about nonstop, <laughs> uh-huh. which is somewhat embarrassing for us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, and Laura, you also mentioned in the in the beginning just talking about your radio program and um, part of the goals that you have for 
for your show is to try to get over the stigma that carries mm-hmm. carries with Alzheimer's disease. And um, yep. I think that that was really moving to hear you talk about that in the beginning for me. My mom, after her diagnosis, um, some of her closest friends walked away and haven't come back to support her. And so um, I think part of this, too, that, that kind of made her a bit um, uncomfortable and, and, frankly, embarrassed by having mm-hmm. the disease and almost thinking that it was a fault of her own. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think trying to get out there and um, by having her even being out and having a voice and coming to our kickoff rally and thanking the players and everything, she is, um, I think it's enabled her to kind of find her own voice and um, and be able to get out there. And I know a passion of hers now, too, is to try to get this, break through this stigma and show that this is um, this is something that a lot of people are dealing with and we can't be embarrassed about it or hide behind it any longer. We need to get out there and um, and talk about it. So, oh, yeah, very, all the work very true. Doing. Yeah, Very, thank you. Because I know I know my mom had a similar kind of a similar situation as well, where she was surprised at which of her friends really stepped up to help out with my dad, and which friends kind of um, disappeared. So yeah, it it definitely is wonderful to have a platform like your radio show to be able to talk about it and to actually give people information instead of um, just continuing the the rumors of how it works. And, yeah, so thank you very much. Yeah, well, it's it's very, very important. I don't know if, um, you know, what you're doing kind of for for openings or anything um, with that, but when we were talking about awareness, one of the things I was thinking, again, from another marketing angle, and maybe you guys already do this, but would be to have little footballs made up and have a tribute wall. And as people walk into the stadium, they can put who they're there for. Um, and yeah. that might be that might be a really, again, a cool visual, um, show the numbers and um, the importance of, of everybody who's been touched. And it doesn't make any difference if, you know, a family of five comes in and all puts down the same person. It just shows they have been touched and how critically important it is for us to make a difference with this because, you know, one person um, affects so many. And we've got to get back to the core of our relationships and we have to help people, you know, live with this disease. I I had um, the other day... Uh, one of the uh, TV channels was out interviewing uh, myself in our, our memory cafe. And um, I'm going to get teary now. And I just got teary. And they're like, Lori, why? Because it's so important for these voices to be heard. And it takes that bravery, you know, to come out of the closet and to say, I don't want to be alone anymore. You know, people need to understand this disease. And I'm just so proud of so many people all around the world coming together to make this difference. And so thank you guys for what you're doing because it's so, so needed. And um, I don't mean to get get so emotional, but I just, 
you know, I am. I'm so invested in this, and I've seen how many people have been crushed by this disease and how many people whose, you know, life it has taken over. And we need to change that. We need to we need to be able to have fun and show hope and and bring people together as a community. Um, no one should ever be embarrassed of having a disease. I mean, that's just that's an asinine thing that happens in our country and around the world. And you know, it, there's no excuse for that um, for people to feel that way. And that that has to change. Um, over in the UK, they actually look at the disease as a disability, not a disease. And so their attitude is how do we build ramps, you know, for dementia? How do we how do we make it so people can live with dementia? And they come at it from a whole different angle than what we do here in the US. And I think that it, it's a brilliant way to look at things and um you know to make a difference that that, that is so so needed. Um so again, I, I thank you your, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love your football your football idea to honor all of those who are impacted <clears throat> by Alzheimer's. I think we might incorporate that into game day. We also have um, the idea for all players who, whomever they may be playing for, if they have a connection to uh-huh. the disease, to put their name on the back of their jersey on game day. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and we also have a sponsorship opportunity for names on the yard markers on the fields. Um, so if oh, anyone, cool. and we also are welcoming corporate sponsors. So if anyone has connections or wants to help out in those ways too. But yes, we definitely want to make sure we honor all those, all those people out there. Oh, wonderful! And I just had a caller, and I was just going to pull pull them in, and then they hung up. So if you're back out there, four two six, come on and call back in, and we'll, we'll try to get you into the show here. Um, I apologize. Oh, they're back. So let me pull them in. And um, hi, you're live on the show. Can you state your name, please? Oh, am I, am I the one you're talking to? Yes, you are the one that you're, I'm talking to. Okay. And so um, who is this? Brent Olson, Brianna's dad. Oh, okay. Well, hey, dad. welcome, Brent. Hi. You have to be awfully proud of her. Oh, not just her. Uh, all these people that are involved, these young women, and that it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. They're wonderful, wonderful. Uh, Warrens versus Burnett's, one of the teams are going to win the game, but in the big scheme of things, yeah, that really doesn't matter. Uh, it's what they've done collectively um, to fundraise, to get, get this money together for the local, you know, our local association, Alzheimer's Association. Uh, you know, if it's $5,000 they raise or, you know, 100000 it just gives more money available to the association to provide, um, you know, benefits and, uh, you know, just resources for those with the disease and for the, you know, the caregivers. So it's it's amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It sounds like it's going to be just a wonderful, wonderful event. And, um, you know, I was I was connected with a with Alyssa. Um, originally through Jan Hughes, who was a member of our Memory Cafe. 
And so, again, otherwise I wouldn't have known that, that you guys even existed. There's so many different things going on, and these connections are, are so important that we talk and that we help raise everybody's voice to what's going on. So I hope we get a lot of people um, getting involved with this here in Minnesota in the Twin Cities area as well as around the country. Um, don't, don't let this opportunity pass you by. It's going to be a fun, fun event. And, um, you know, step up to the plate. Make a difference. It's, it's very important. Well, thank you for, for calling into the show. Was there anything else that you wanted to add, Brett? Oh. No, uh, it's, I'm just, uh, you know, it's amazing. You know, you got to realize the person that has the disease, they're still the same person. You know, it's, it's the disease. It's not the individual. You know, it's not catchy. You know, yeah. uh, you know, don't abandon. Don't abandon someone with this disease. That's, that's probably been, probably my wife's biggest heartbreak. Our lifelong friends that have, uh, I've just gone. Yeah, and it's probably so. the most common and the least talked about, um, you know, aspect of this disease or symptom um, of this disease. And it's devastating. It, you know, it's absolutely devastating. We have to educate people and remove the fear and get them to understand that, you know, my mom's had this disease for 30 years and been in a nursing home for 12 and she's been in her end stages for four and she can't do anything for herself but she is still in there and she can still communicate with me and she's taught me to communicate on different levels I didn't know existed and so for me that's that's really been a gift um and totally reframed my life so I think um you know I I I thank you for um, for all you're doing and um, for calling into the show and being a, a great caregiver, you know, to your wife and supporting your your daughter and the team through this. Um, these are all big things. These are all big things you're doing. So thank you so much for calling in, Brent. Oh, yeah, it was. It's my pleasure. Okay. <laughs> He's a wonderful, Good. wonderful kid. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Girls, I want to get back to you and ask you each, in wrapping up here, um, and I'll throw this to Brianna first, what gifts, if any, has this disease brought to you? How has it changed Um, your life? Excuse me? I'm sorry. Um, The first thing that came to mind was perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been very um, kind of career-driven and focused to um, lead a kind of life that I saw for myself, and I still am career-focused, and I still am doing a lot of the things that um, I've always thought were important, but also now being able to move home and care and support for my mom, I find that it's an honor to be able to um, give back and care for a woman who gave so many years of herself to support me and to bring raise me um so i think a lot of that is probably um perspective on what's what matters what's most important in life okay how about you Alyssa? you know i i had a somewhat similar experience to brianna where i was very career driven i had a wonderful marketing career with ameriprise financial and when my dad got diagnosed. Um, I continued to work, but my husband and I, 
soon after finding out about his diagnosis, decided to have children because I was the only one in our family in a position to um, to provide grandchildren at that time. So, um, and now I have three wonderful children that I stay at home with. So, um, you know, it like Brianna said, it puts a lot of perspective um, on life and what's important, and to us, that's family. The other thing uh, I just wanted to add is that I have met so many amazing people through this, and Brianna is definitely on the top of that list, and she you know, has become such a great friend and resource through all this, and I probably never would have run into her otherwise. So there are a lot of really positive things that come out of this, but... Um, but sometimes they're hard to find at the very beginning. So, agreed. Yep, yep. Very, very true. But you know, and I, I always think that that's such an important um, way to frame it. Is yeah, it is tough. But you know, there's always a lesson in everything that we do. And so, you know, what have you learned? And there's some huge, huge learning lessons wrapped in this disease. You know, I personally think that it's here to pull the world together to work as one and be collaborative, you know, um, just with funding and, you know, all of the critical things that we we don't have the time, we don't have the money, and we don't have the resources to do alone, and we can't be proprietary on this anymore. And, um, you know, I think that's going to make a whole shift in terms of how the world does business together. Um, and can filter down, or actually I think it's filtering up. I think it's starting at a very grassroots level and forcing the change um, in in many, many levels. So, well, thank you girls so much for being with us today. It, it's very, very um, exciting, and we'd love to, you know, hear more from you as things progress. Um, Alyssa, what are the best contact information uh, that we want to give people again? If you want to highlight um, that for we, us. Yeah, again, reaching out to us through Facebook is one of our main ways right now. Um, and that's uh, uh, Blondes versus Brunettes Twin Cities. Another way is you can always email us at B for Blonde. V for versus B for brunette twin cities at gmail dot com. So BVB twin cities at gmail dot com. Um, otherwise, if you do go to the Alzheimer's Association website and do a search, you can find um, the fundraising pages that we all have up. They're very similar to the ones that they do for the walk. So, mm-hmm. but we all have in the Twin Cities right now. We all have our fundraising pages up, or they're going to be up soon. So, and you can choose to support one of the teams or um, or a specific player. So, okay. And you, Wonderful. Well, thank you both for taking the time to to be with us today. I think it's just absolutely fascinating. You know, go to that Facebook page, like them, um, sign up, get involved. And if you've got connections for them or if you've got ideas, share them. You know, don't keep them to yourself. Um, It's time to work together because we will win this battle. So thank you both again so much for being part of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you guys take care now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 
I'm going to um, just kind of give you some mid-program highlights before I pull in our next guest here. Um, our last radio show, if you had not listened to that, was very interesting. It was about do you need a caregiver coach? And then information on how an occupational therapist can really help people with dementia at all um, stages of the disease. So if you haven't listened to that, um, you might want to go back into the archives and, and check that out. Our next program um, coming up is going to be very interesting. Um, Gary LeBlanc has been working just so diligently on this program, and it's going to be about um, a wristband program for hospitals. And uh, for people with dementia, we are also going to be uh, having a special uh, segment that will be two hours um, totally on dementia and driving coming up as well. And as far as our dementia chats, it was supposed to happen uh, yesterday. I ended up canceling that. I was traveling in Chicago uh, working with Verizon on um, on some things, and so I was not able to to attend on that. But our next Dementia Chats will be on July 9th, and that's always a fascinating webinar where I interview people with dementia. So feel free to, uh, to partake on that. I also like to highlight a few of the blogs that were posted since our last get-together. There are two blog posts on uh, Jiminy Wicket, which is a croquet game that's very adaptive for people with dementia. And we played it here um, last Friday on the longest day with, uh, with our Memory Cafe group and also Arthur's Residential Care. And we just had an absolute blast. So there's a couple of videos um, on the blog that will show you how the game is played. Very, very fun. Um, so check, check that out. There's also tips for traveling, seven tips for traveling. There's a post about the meeting of the minds with Dr. Richard Taylor, which, again, is a webinar series. And he talks about hospitalization and dementia because he was just in the hospital uh, fighting his cancer. Um, Richard also has dementia. He's a very renowned uh, speaker throughout the world. And so that's a, a great, great thing that you can check out. There's also information on casting your vote because Congress is going to be deciding on some research funding. Um, that was from Alzheimer's, uh, Us Against Alzheimer's. So you can check that out. And then there are two fabulous videos um, that are about breakthrough dementia treatment over in the UK that you might want to uh, to take a peek at. I just found both of them very, very fascinating. So let me go ahead and introduce our next guest here. Uh, this bio is a little bit long, but stay with me with it because you know, typically I try to trim them back, and I just couldn't because Terry Woodford is uh, just one incredible man. In 1969, Terry started out making music for heartsick and impressionable teenagers in Alabama. During his career um, as a hit record producer, music publisher, and recording engineer, songwriter, um, he supplied music and songs for a lot of top acts like the Commodores, who I love, Jimmy Buffett, The Temptations, Alabama, um, Wayne Newton, uh, Barbara Mandrell, The Supremes. Um, so this guy is really connected and very, very good at what he does. 
Terry's also served on the Board of Governors of the Nashville Chapter of the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences twice. He is co-founder and has taught courses for the first four-year degree program in the country to teach the ins and outs of the music business in the, at the University of North Alabama. Many of his songwriters and students that he mentored are really well-respected leaders in the recording industry now. From rock and roll to rockabye, um, at the request of a daycare provider, Terry took on a challenge to produce music to help kids sleep at nap time. His idea was um, was to record an actual human heartbeat and use it as a rhythm for trans, uh, traditional nursery songs. And much to his surprise, when he tested this in hospital newborn nurseries, the nurses reported, get this number, 94% of crying babies were calmed to sleep by the music in less than two minutes. No more throwing your kid in the car and trying to get him to sleep on a on a bumpy ride. Um, later that year, he visited a cardiac intensive care unit where the nurses had started playing the heartbeat lullabies to help infants and children get rest and sleep um, that they needed uh, in order to heal after surgery. And the intensive care nurses were anxious to show him how playing his simple lullabies with the heartbeat rhythm could miraculously just calm a frightened and agitated baby in just a few seconds. That experience changed his life forever. In 1987, he left the music business and devoted himself full-time to developing and spreading the use of heartbeat lullabies. Now, this is something I had never heard of until Terry and I connected on LinkedIn, and I just found it fascinating. The music has provided um, to be a godsend uh, for not only Terry and his role, but for thousands of care providers and millions of frazzled, sleep-deprived parents. The research-backed recordings have been used in over 8,000 hospitals and special care centers to calm infants and children and now adults. His nurturing method to get babies to stop crying and sleep through the night has sold over 3.4 million copies. Over 1.5 million have been purchased by the military, health departments, hospitals, child abuse prevention organizations to give at-risk parents. It's estimated that well over 20 million people either went to sleep to his heartbeat lullabies or watched a child go to sleep to one of these recordings. Fans may not remember the name of the CD or Terry's name, but they never forget the recording's distinct sound and how it works. And You know, I can attest to that because Terry sent me a sampling, and when I put it on, I I was really, uh, I wasn't sure what to think because the heartbeat is very, very loud with this, and we're going to play an example um, for you as, as we go forward here with this conversation. But I can tell you, I slept like a baby. I've also given it to a couple of friends who have used it, and one said, you know, she just kind of giggled thinking, oh, this is never going to work. 
And she also told me it's the best night's sleep she's ever had. So, you know, this this recording is really quite phenomenal, and we have so many people that are sleep-deprived, we're, we're stressed out, we're ill, um, you know, our minds are going a million hours a minute, and I think Terry can really make a huge, huge um, difference in terms of helping people sleep that might be dealing with insomnia, post-traumatic stress, dementia, Alzheimer's, chronic pain. It's it's just almost hypnotic in and of itself. So welcome, Terry. How are you today? Well, I'm doing good. I, I'm a little embarrassed. I shouldn't send you such a long bio. <laughs> well, you know, I, I normally try to cut it back, but I just thought it, it was really important for people to know who you are. Um, because you you have such a credibility um, in terms of your history, and to make that that you know life change in terms of what you were doing and really moving forward in this whole other area, I think says a lot about who you are um, and where you come from, and I, I think it's it's very important for people to understand as well that. This doesn't just help dementia patients. I mean, it helps pretty much anybody who's having a difficult time um, sleeping. And I, I think it's a battle that is um, kind of like dementia, not talked about. You know, people don't like to, to really say that they're not sleeping well, and I think we get used to functioning not as good as we could when we don't sleep because we don't think that there's anything that we can really do about it. And so um very excited to have you on the program today. Um, can you tell us, uh, Terry, have you ever personally been touched, you know, in your life with a family or, or friend who's been touched by dementia at all? Has that ever come into play for you? Yeah, my grandmother had dementia, and, of course, to me she was a saint. And I remember seeing her for the last time in the in the hospital and she could talk to me for maybe 20 seconds and then she was talking about something else. The other thing is she was such a a wonderful person, but my understanding was that she would get in her wheelchair and she'd go around and steal people's purses, (laughs) which (laughs) is so unlike her, you know, and so uh, it was an experience. Also, one of my favorite uncles just recently died of Alzheimer's, so I'm 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 familiar with it. Of course, I've been in Alzheimer's centers and places now, and uh, and it's it's really a, a, an unbelievable thing. I mean, it strikes all ages. Most people think I think it's just older people, but not necessarily. So no, no. Anything There's you can a... do to 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 make them feel better and to make them feel alive and make them still feel productive in some ways, I think, is really important. I agree. And you're right. This isn't an old person's disease. There are people in their 40s and 30s and even their 20s um, that are being diagnosed with this disease. So we we better start paying more attention, you know, as a society. Can you tell us in a little bit more detail, you know, what drove you, you know, to leave such a fascinating and and successful career in the music business to to go ahead and and really work and develop this uh, the lullaby recordings? Well, I guess to understand why I left it, you'd have to understand why I got into it. And of course, when I was young, I was ambitious and motivated by fame and money and ego and 
the entertainment industry really is an attractive way to do it, you know, if you think you've got any talent at all. And so uh, I studied all the hits. I thought, well, how am I going to know what a hit song is or a hit record, and how do you do it? And so I studied all the hits for the previous six months in all categories of music, you know, to see what they had in common. And I found about 50 things that they had in common as far as structure and but I've realized that the most important thing is you have to evoke an emotional response in the listener and to help them feel or express their feelings if you want to get a hit. And they'll buy it and they'll take it home and they'll play it over and over and over and over until you get tired of it. <laughs> and I also noticed hits only usually last for about two or three months. And then you do get tired of hearing them and then you don't want to hear them for a while. The two important things I found was the title is so important. You know, that you make it stick out melodically and lyrically so that the, the people can remember it. And, you know, you always seem to remember the title of the song. The other thing is first person. Almost all hits are in first person so that listener can be the, the singer. I mean, you've seen people driving down the interstates with their window up, and you can just see them singing along with something they like, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I realized that uh, if you could take those same basic principles and you know, it started with a, a daycare person saying she needed music for kids in daycares. And, of course, at that time in my life, I, I didn't really care too much about what they were playing in the daycare centers. <laughs> I was this big-time record producer and songwriter. But I decided it would be a fun project and uh, thought if I could use the human heart as the rhythm, I wouldn't get so much peer pressure for people saying, well, he's producing lullabies, so he's on the way out. <laughs> uh-huh. And I re- and so... Uh, I used the human heart, recorded it from the chest, which became a technical challenge, and then it worked its way into the cardiac recovery unit, like you said in the intro there. And I saw these babies cut from the neck to their belly button and tubes and monitors, and it was the most intimidating, humbling experience I think I've ever had. I almost passed out, but the, when the nurses saw me, saw the showed me how the babies would calm down when you played the music just in a few seconds, it, it scared me. You know, well, yeah. I knew I hadn't done that, and I could feel the presence of God in there. And so that's that's why I left the music industry. Here was a way that you could use money, or use make music for good, you know, make music that could, that could help heal. So mm-hmm. um, that's when I got out and started trying to figure out how am I going to spread the word about it, you know. And I started doing television news stories and talk shows and talk radio, and and I gave it free to hospitals or organizations if they'd requested to use in their hospitals. And the word spread, and uh, then some hospitals started buying it, you know, and giving it to new moms, and uh, we got it in J.C. Penney's and Eckerd Drug Stores and uh, Dayton Hudson, Marshall Fields, and uh, we sold a couple of million that way. And then one day we get a a call from, well, within about a six month period, we lost all of our national chains, which for one reason or another, you know, and it was just like we were having an emergency meeting, and we said, you know, we're in trouble, and I told the girl, I said, "Don't, no phone calls during this meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Five minutes into the meeting, she she calls me, she said, I'm sorry, I know I'm not supposed to interrupt you, but this woman said she was in the Pentagon. <laughs> now, I figured it's one of my friends, <laughs> you know, yeah. why would the Pentagon call me? I said, well, you tell the Pentagon, I'll call them back. Well, <laughs> After I got out of the meeting, I called back. I didn't recognize the number. They answered the Pentagon. I like to fell out of my chair. I said, oh, maybe they want me to be a spy. You know, I, why would the <laughs> Pentagon call me? And they transferred me to Army Community Service. 
And this woman said, you know, we hear we heard about your cassette back then. And she said, we understand it prevents infant abuse. You know, crying is the primary trigger for infant abuse, and could you quote us on 50,000? Well, I had to be cool, so I said, well, yes, I'll call you back. <laughs> I could have quoted her in a minute, you know. But uh-huh. so when I called back and they set us up with a, as a government vendor and they ordered 50000 and then the Air Force ordered and then the Navy ordered. And so even today we sell to the Army Community Service and new parent support and family advocacy programs for babies. And How cool is that? So that's my focus has been the neonatal intensive care units, and there's been research on it, you know, with playing it pre, during, and after circumcision and other things. But even what you find out is you almost have to market research like you do a product or nobody knows, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I first, we got up, had about, I had about 35,000 testimonies in my garage from parents. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, and I know this is going to sound funny, but a lot of them would say, it calmed our baby to sleep, it calmed me and my husband to sleep, and it calmed our dog to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, the baby stops crying and they get they can go to sleep, you know. And certainly the dog thing, he's just like anybody else. When the baby stops crying, the dog gets a break. So I didn't pay much attention to it. Mm-hmm. But um, where, I, where I really first got the idea that the same music, you know, might work on adults. I was on a, one of those talk shows in Tampa, Florida, and after I got back, a woman had called me and she said she was getting her master's degree looking for alternatives to physical restraints and sedatives in nursing homes. And I'm thinking, physical restraints? I mean, I didn't even know. You know, I'm, I'm a rock and roll record guy. What do I know? Mm-hmm. And so I sent her the cassettes and I start thinking about it and I said well why don't I just get music for the 20s and the 30s and 40s use the same heartbeat the same principles I used you know to craft the lullabies and that's music when these people were teenagers and, and maybe they would appreciate it more and I won't have any lyrics on it and so I decided to use Moon River Laura's theme Scarlet Ribbons Amazing Grace and uh, one other I can't think of right now but and I made an instrumental, and I called the that same week I got a call from Lutheran Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio, and they said, we heard about your lullabies in the pediatric unit. We'd like to try it in the geriatric unit. And so I told her, I said, well, wait till you hear this idea. And I told her, she said, well, we'll try that too. So then I called the cardiac recovery unit at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. I said, how about music for your adults after open-heart surgery? And I explained what I was doing. And so she said, well, we'll get permission from the patient the surgeons and we'll try it so i'm all excited you know i'm I'm a little bit maybe a little bit cocky at this point thinking mm-hmm. you know i've got these babies all going to sleep <laughs> now i'll get the adults to go to sleep or help them in the intensive care units so i waited a couple of months and i didn't hear anything and I called the cardiac recovery unit and i said well how's it going and she said i'm sorry but she said we can't use the one you made for adults so the first thing that goes through my mind is they did something wrong. I mean, how could it mm-hmm. miss? Everything's the same. It's the heartbeat. It's just different songs, you know. Mm-hmm. She said, well, you know, we bring the people in right after surgery. We've got your cassette player right there by their bed. But a lot of times the anesthetic will wear off before the paralyzation does so they can see and they can hear. But they can't feel anything and they can't move. And on comes the song Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. They think they're dying. It doesn't look like heaven. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. I was so embarrassed. I, mean, I just 
didn't even think about that. You know? Uh-huh. So, but I wasn't going to give up that easy, so I called Cleveland Medical, Lutheran Medical Center, and got the nurse, and I said, well, how's it going? And she said, well, I'm sorry, we can't use your adult cassette. I said, amazing grace, right? She said, no, the problem's Moon River. I said, Moon River, what's wrong with that? She said, for some, it's a love song. For others, it's maybe the guy or the girl that got away. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so she said, but that little lullaby cassette is just working great. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> well, I said, why? What do you think? She said, she said, we're a referral hospital for about a 200-mile radius of nursing homes, and most of the people that we get here didn't have visitors. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what has that got to do with it? You know, She says, if you don't have visitors, you don't get as good a care. Well, that was another rude awakening for me, you know, something you don't think about uh, when yep. you're not. And so she said, when they hear these, they remember these songs were probably the first and most powerful love songs ever written. Uh, when these songs were sung a cappella, you know, to, to people, they were sung with compassion. It didn't matter how good the mother could sing or the dad or the grandma. And they were shown love and affection, security that made them feel safe. They were kept warm as a part of a nurturing, you know, bedtime routine. So she said, they don't feel loved, and this makes them feel loved and safe and secure again. And their long-term memory is better. So that moved, it really moved me at the time. But I thought, that'd be too hard, you know. To tell mm-hmm. people that these lullabies are gonna, you, you're gonna, it's gonna help you in all these different ways and stuff. And so I didn't really do anything uh, about it that much until uh, three or four years ago. I, I got a, a call from a clinical psychologist at the VA in Austin, Texas, and she said, "I want to try these with my Alzheimer's, dementia, chronic pain, hospice people." And she said, "I want to get 200 of them," and she got 100 of each version. And uh, later sent me a letter of the different ways it was helping these people. And then I realized, you know, this is what I should do, you know, whether it's going to be hard or not. Uh, And I should get this out to assisted living centers and and, uh, nursing homes and hospitals and places, you know, where it could really make a difference to people. So that's how I got involved in in really my focus now is with the adults. Uh, I will say this, although... I know you didn't want to hear about this, but they are used in 2,500 humane societies and shelters to calm dogs. <laughs> no, I, you know, what, what I was going to mention was, um, because when I when I listened to it, I thought, well, this is, you know, strange. I mean, because it's just not what you imagine, you know. I right. mean, it is. It just is kind of strange. And then I thought, well, of course this makes sense. You know, when a new puppy is born and they're ha- they're struggling, they always ha- they always tell you go get a big clock and put it under the pillow right. so they could hear that tick tick tick. And so to me that made perfect sense. Um, and it and it and how it would apply because I mean we all come out the same way. You know, used to being in that womb and hearing that heartbeat and and you can almost feel that heartbeat. I mean, it's just. The thumping of it, and we'll we'll play a song here in a little bit so our audience can hear it. But it's fascinating, and um, it's it's very it is it's extremely comforting. And even with the lullabies, you know, I kind of went, well, what's up with that? You know, you know, how's that going to work? But 
it brings you back to this safe place in time that's really calm and i was i was really shocked at how quickly I was able to fall asleep because a lot of times I'm a flip and a flop and I eh, check my emails <laughs> again and you know I'm, I'm one of those and um, I, I was I you know and I and I did it more than more than one time I, I tried it I don't know probably five different times and each time I woke up in the morning going wow I really slept good what I did find though and I don't know if anyone else has found this that when the CD was done playing because I didn't loop it. I would wake up. Did you have and repeat on your CD player? I didn't. I, at, first, at first, I didn't have that. Uh, but I, I was like, oh, my gosh, the music stopped. And that's what woke me up. And so then I played the repeat, and then no problem at all. But I, but I thought that that was really a fascinating, um, interesting piece, too, that my body knew the difference. And well, um, mm-hmm. go ahead. I'll tell you what, what I think that is part of it. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Michigan, Indiana and Michigan, and the snow would, in Michigan in the wintertime, it'll get crusty on the top. Same thing there in Minnesota, I'm sure. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, if you, and when you're a kid, you can walk on top of the snow even. You know what I mean? <laughs> it gets so crusty. But when you're laying in your bed at night, and the branches are falling off the trees because of the ice, you know the boogeyman's out there walking around. Mm-hmm. You know, your imagination. My dad used to bring a window fan in and turn the window fan on so that it would mask out those limbs falling on the tree. Masking meaning you just couldn't hear them. They weren't as startling mm-hmm. to you, and you weren't able to focus on them. Music has that same masking effect also. Now, the problem I had with with hearing that white noise of that fan back then was that it got to where I had to have it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Otherwise, I'll hear every little sound. And so when I'd travel a lot, I'd turn a television on on a station that wasn't on, and I'd cover up the, the screen with my coat where I could hear the, the static, which was really white noise. And so that's the negative part. Uh, so... I would assume that if you're in a light sleep when that music cuts off at night, then it'd probably be the same thing, or something could startle you awake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Easier. Uh, but if you play it at a real low volume, it's okay to play it online. You don't always have to. And plus, once once you're asleep, you don't hear it anyway. Yeah. But it is nice to keep out the startle sounds. Yeah. I know. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to ask, um, you know, you've got them on the, the CDs and the, the DVD. Do you have them on as a, can people order them online as a podcast and, um, you know, put them, I, I'm probably podcast. I don't, I don't you know, know the terminology that you do, so correct me, please. <laughs> um, uh, but can they buy them on iTunes as well? Everyone's uh, getting into this fast little pace, you know. Deal now. Downloads, yeah. Yep. Yeah, on, on our website you can uh, buy the CDs or you can buy a download and uh, of both versions, and we've got two versions of it. Uh, okay. You also, if you're an organization that, that like an Alzheimer's Center assisted living, you can uh, email us and we'll send you one free to use okay. in your facilities. That's kind of how... The baby one was spread, and, I, and I'm using that. You know, if you get it to the people who need it the most first, mm-hmm. uh, 
they're going to be, number one, more willing to try it because they may be desperate for all kinds of non-pharmacological stuff, right? And then uh, they spread the word. And, you know, the the way I look at it is, for me, is even if it doesn't become a a big success and all these 70% of Americans who have sleep problems don't buy it, at least I've got it to the people where it can really make a major difference. You know, in their life mm-hmm. and in their rest and sleep, and if they don't have to use as many drugs or if they don't have to use them at all, that's even a more huge plus. So, and it was the same thing with the babies in the neonatal units and pediatrics and in those places. They really needed it there. You know, it's it's and they were the nurses who've really been the champions of the thing were the ones that realized how it could really make a huge difference. So uh, that's why I give them free. Uh huh. To, to use in the facilities. On the new video, which I can tell you about in a minute if you want to, those are also free to organizations that they can play on closed-circuit television. So, um, But if you want to buy them, you can buy downloads or you can buy the CDs on our website, which is adultlullabytherapy.com. And you could read more of why I think it works you know, so well to call people. The biggest, I think, the hardest part is to get people to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I sold some to Fort Detrick, Maryland, for the military, and they hadn't had them two days till they called back and ordered more. And I said, "Well, how did you get these <laughs> these soldiers willing to listen to these lullabies with a heartbeat?" And she said, "It was big time resistance at first until two of them tried it. Now the word's out. So mm-hmm. it's it's real di- it's real difficult to get people to to believe it." Uh, until they listen to it, you see the the thing that one of the things that makes it different is that these songs, some of them are four or five hundred years old, and they've been sung and passed down generation after generation. But they were usually sung a cappella. You didn't have a mm-hmm. band behind you rocking your kid, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so when I decided to do the lullabies, which for the daycares, I said, well, we need to reinforce the emotion of compassion in these songs. That's what it's about. Uh, and the human heartbeat from the chest, that's where the baby lays its head. And most lullaby recordings never have rhythm instruments, if you ever noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always, you know, instrumental, and they're usually played on little teeny-tiki pianos. And so we're going to really try to reinforce it, just like you would a hit record. You want to reinforce the emotion in that singer's voice and the message they're trying to get across. So I think that's the other thing. Adults have never really heard these lullabies performed like this. You know. mm-hmm. And there's never been another recording that uses an actual human heart as the rhythm either. So how much that heartbeat really has to do with it, I don't know. Some people think, oh, that's everything. Why don't we just have a heartbeat without the music? <laughs> uh-huh. I don't think I can handle that. So uh, <laughs> the biggest, I think the biggest problem is to get people to listen to it. That's why I come up with my little theory as to why it works on uh-huh. adults. And uh, I, I think it works for two reasons. One, uh, it's a, it works by distraction and by association. And mm-hmm. the, the distraction is that you're you're comforted by an attraction to a sympathetic compassion. Uh, you know, this these songs have always been sung to babies, and, and someone was sympathetic to whatever their need happened to be, whether they were scared or frightened or hurting or whatever. And so you tend to flash back to that same thing when you hear these songs. You tend to identify those songs with those kinds of things, of, make, of feeling loved. 
I mean, these are not these are not romantic love songs, but they're certainly powerful love songs that were sung to calm babies, and they're showing love and affection for those babies and kids. And so uh, that's why the, and the melodies are so good. That's why they've lasted. You, it's funny because that's your long-term memory gets better as you get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was introduced to you real early and made positive impacts on your memory. And so when you go back to that, you feel those positive emotions and that feeling of being cared for and so forth. Uh, the other, So that you associate those songs with that kind of thing. But the thing that distracts you is that it's kind of like these lullabies were constructed using the basic principles of relaxation. And those principles used in transcendental meditation and on and on and on, and simplicity, repetition, predictability, uh, consistent tempo in the case of music, uh, simple symmetry, and compassion in the in the singer's voice. And so those are basically things that attract you when you're upset, when you're anxious. It's mm-hmm. safe, it's predictable, it's uh, sympathetic and non-dynamic, so it's very easy to focus on it and, and uh, you know, forget about what's bothering you. Just distracts mm-hmm. you from what's bothering you. So that's the reasons I think it really works so well. Uh, otherwise, go ahead. I was going to say, why don't we go ahead and listen to one, and what I want okay. the audience to do is, um, you know, if even if you're in your office, just close your eyes. Just take a couple of deep breaths and um, just block everything out and just take a listen. I think I'm going to, let's see, we'll go with London Bridges here, okay? Okay.
It's uh, I, I know for some of yeah I, <laughs> for for some of you you, you know because it does I think it takes a, a little bit to get used to because it is something that isn't n- normal for us oh. to hear, right. and uh, and the heartbeat really is very powerful. Um, but I know I you know I there's a funny right thing about that heartbeat that I've that uh-huh. you'll notice when it first comes on you say ooh <laughs> that heartbeat's too loud the singer's mm-hmm. supposed to be the loudest thing on a recording but what happens is I don't know why your your mind tends to go for the music and you kind of compartmentalize the heartbeat and you don't really consciously hear it anymore after a period maybe after twenty thirty seconds and it's always the same volume throughout the whole eighteen songs and yet. Uh, after a while, you don't hear it. You just hear the music. So I don't have any idea why, but uh, so it's supposed to be a little louder. You know, you can always adjust the volume of the heartbeat if with your bass control on your on your player. Mhm. Which which makes sense. I I just you know for me as soon as I heard it because I'm used to it now, it just relaxes me. It just um, it it puts me in a different space. And um, I, I've got a, a friend who's got insomnia, just horrible. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna send one of them that you sent me to him, and uh, see if that can, if that can help him out at all. Because I, I just, he just struggles, you know, with sleep so horribly. And you see these sleep clinics all over the place. I mean, they're just popping up all over the country. Um, have you approached the sleep clinics at all with this? In the early days, I, I went to a sleep disorder center and uh, mm-hmm. gave them one, and, and they, I learned a lot about how they measure and all that kind of stuff. Personally, I don't think I could ever go into one because I can't sleep on my back. But mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but you, there's just so many fronts to be on. You don't you don't know what to pursue. Do you know what I mean? When you you get all this feedback uh, yep. from different uses and stuff, and so I never really approached them that way Uh, sleep disorder said they're there to find out what's wrong not necessarily to fix it well but they're the first ones that you know here have a sleep apnea contraption you know where you look like dark Vader and stuff which is (laughs) i mean it's great but i mean i i think people if they had their druthers between having to wear equipment to bed or being able just to have some music plugged in um, I mean, my guess is they'd go for the music if it would help, and you know, it would be it would be really interesting for them to uh, do a study on. I mean, they've got all the equipment right there. Um, yeah, because then they could measure what's going on. You know, it, exactly. So, uh, you know, I would I would love for you to, um, you know, approach them, or I, I might even just stop into the one in Maplewood here and say, would you ever consider? You know, checking this out and yeah, um, just see with how a couple, it affects their sleep. Yeah, because I mean, gosh, what a difference that would make! And you know, if you can get some research behind it um, to boot, because this, I mean, it is—it's like an epidemic of people not sleeping well. Um, I know for myself, I would have loved it after this was years ago because my daughter's twenty-five now. But um, as soon as I was pregnant, I was up. Every two hours, because the baby was up, kicking and moving, and I could not right. sleep. And then it was a year after she was born before I got a full night's sleep, because my body was still used to getting up every two hours. 
And I didn't even realize how sleep deprived I was until I got eight hours of sleep and I woke up going, and everybody was shocked. We were up at the lake and and I slept in and no one, I mean, that was just not what I did. And, and everyone was shocked and I woke up and, and I'm like, I felt like a brand new person. I I knew I was tired before and I knew I wasn't sleeping, but, you know, you have to do what you have to do and you keep plugging along. But I literally felt like a brand new person and, I, you know, my personality was much calmer and brighter. I wasn't as snatchy, you know, <laughs> because I, I got sleep. And, um, you know, this is huge for our bodies and our for our minds, for just being able to fend off disease, you know, to be able to be strong enough. I mean, it's on massive levels. It's... Um, it's just uh, it's a powerful, powerful tool that should not be overlooked. Um, I mean, there's nothing to lose for someone to try this. Um, I well, mean, what's the worst that happens is it doesn't work, but you you know you haven't really lost anything. Go ahead. Three Terry. minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually, it's about three minutes of your time. The biggest competition I have for something like that is drugs. Mm-hmm. Too easy. Works too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so these have to work quick. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They have to work quick in the assisted living centers, and they, and they do. But if if it's ever going to be a part of protocol where you use that first, it's going to have to be something that the care provider can switch on and whenever it's needed. You know, and they, don't play it if it's not needed. And yeah. With that, I'll tell you an interesting thing I found out. You know, people can listen to an oldie record. And they remember the first time they heard it, who they were with. I mean, they can almost relive that experience. Mm-hmm. And But the interesting thing about that, 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 you know, when the record was a hit, the first time you heard it, you probably heard it for two or three months because the radio stations were playing it every hour and a half and so forth, and then you got tired of it. You didn't mm-hmm. really want to hear it anymore. You got bored with it. If you go back and listen to an oldie station and you hear one of those songs and you have that experience again and it makes you feel that same way, the problem is it gets older quicker. So if you use it, if you find a particular song that a person really loves and it makes them feel good and on and on and on, the problem is if you use it very much, it'll get old quicker. And so you can't use it as much as you might need to use it because mm-hmm. it loses its effectiveness so much quicker. But there was a, so there was a researcher. Her name is Sandra Trehob, and she's a psychologist at the University of Toronto. And she devoted her life to studying the musical ability of the human brain. And she concluded that not only do, lull- do lullabies calm children and adults, but repetitive lullabies are songs that people want to hear over and over again. And her theory is that it's rather than becoming bored by the repetition, they find comfort in the familiarity of the simple melodies and things. So this it's kind of like the more you play it when it's needed, the quicker it works because you become conditioned to to calm to it. So mm-hmm. that's the nice part, you know, about this particular music. And, it were, and it's, it's so generic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Almost everybody's heard one of these songs, if not all 18 at one time or another, or they sang it to their kids or their grandkids or, you know. So it's not something that, you know, when you first think about it, well, this is condescending and this is infantile, I'm going to do that. But once you listen to one of them, you'll see they're not, they're not what you thought. 
<laughs> no, no, it's it's very very um, interesting, and and for some of our listeners, it, it may have been overwhelming, you know, because um, when you're not ready to go to sleep. But I really encourage you to try try this. Um, when you're going to sleep, and you know, listen to a song or no. <clears throat> yep, yeah, or if you're anxious, yeah, and um, and really, you know, give it a chance. Don't don't give up on it. Just plug it in and just listen to it and see what happens. Because you could be like a friend of mine um, who listened to it. And she she literally said she's like, Lori, I, I have to tell you, I just I giggled for 20 minutes thinking, oh, this is just silly. You know, this is this isn't going to help. And she said, oh my gosh, she's like, I have not slept that good ever. She, I mean, she was just amazed. She said, I just, I went out like a light. And she normally doesn't do that. So after she kind of let her ego go and just said, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to judge this. I'm just going to yeah. go with the flow. Um, it worked, you know. But if you, I think like anything, you know, our our ego can get in the way and, and cause a lot of turmoil for us, which is, is too bad that we let it do that. But um you know, I, I think if somebody has a problem, chances are that's going to be uh, at the root of it, you know, that we're trying to analyze it so much instead of yeah. just letting things be um, and uh, letting things be, be natural because the, the power behind, you know, just letting things go is, is absolutely incredible in my mind anyways <clears throat> with that. So I think it's very... Very, very interesting and um, very powerful, and I, I would love to see more people utilize these um, and uh, and see if it can work. I, I love that it's helping out our vets. I just think that that is yeah, that's that's so pretty exciting for me. Yeah, to know that you can help yeah. people with PTSD because they they haven't come up with anything very good yet. I'll tell you what I I'm working on now. Hmm. I, I always know that I've got the problem of people, like you say, are they even going to be willing to listen to it? Mm-hmm. Then you've got the problem that if it's in an assisted living center or a hospital or the distribution systems, players, P- MP3, mm-hmm. CD player, what? And so I thought, ooh, I know what they've got. They've mm-hmm. got closed-circuit TVs in hospitals and assisted living centers where they have their own channels. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I need a video that can be played uh-huh. 24 hours a day, and then people can choose to listen to it or they can't, or if they're in a waiting room where they're really upset, like a VA waiting room, this yep. is something that will interest them. So I decided to make the music, the soundtracks of a music video, you know, the whole 18 songs on one and then uh-huh. 10 songs on the other, but I would use character-generated, famous, inspirational quotes and sometimes humorous quotes to get their attention. Uh, to get them so they fade in on a black screen for about 10 or 15 seconds, and then they fade out. It gives you time mm-hmm. to think about what you just read. And so I kind of sneak the music in on them, you know, <laughs> playing in the background, and this is distracting them from what's bothering them, you know, at least temporarily, <clears throat> excuse me, while they're watching. So I'm really anxious uh, to get more places to try that, and, of course, those are free to organizations that where it applies, you know. Uh, of course, they can be played on DVD players and things too, but uh, and on smartphones and, and uh, transferred over to MP3, whatever players or whatever you want to play it on. But I think the video thing, I, I, at this point, uh, I, I'm not sure what the response will be to it. I've had maybe 
five or six people that have tried it, you know, in one big VA hospital that may put it on their closed-circuit television. But I thought, you know, here are these famous quotes coming up and so forth, and there'll be somebody sitting in a waiting room and get up and go over to the desk. Will you turn that lullaby music off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? You know what I mean? I don't know whether you'll run against that or whether people will really get into it. So, But in the rooms, they've got a choice to watch it. So mm-hmm. it's a little different there. But it's pretty exciting, and it's it's a little bit frustrating. Uh, you know, you get a, you get a lot of feedback, really positive mm-hmm. feedback, and I'm pretty feedback driven. And so you feel like you need to, you know, I need to get it out there. I need to get more people using this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you run into somebody that'll say, oh, I'm not going to listen to lullabies with a heartbeat, or you know, or where. Do you have the research? You know, hey, it either works or it doesn't. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Do you say, what have they got to lose? And so far, I haven't had hardly any negatives. But on the video, I don't know yet. I'm, there's some places that are using it. And, uh, again, uh, let's see what happens with that. You know, I'm, but I think it's a good idea. I have other ideas, too, if it works. So, But it's, yeah. it's fun. It's, it's, it's a lot different than being in the music business, you know. Um, there you weren't, I mean, you were trying to appeal to people's melancholy, sadness, bitterness, pain, you know, enhance their pain, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and here's a chance to to do it different, you know. Back in the music industry, the hardest thing to do is to make a love, to write a love song, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. sexually oriented, making sex and love synonymous. But here, I already had the love songs. It was just a matter of presenting them in a in a compassionate way. So anyway, it's 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 been quite a experience for me. I really what a like journey. it. I I'm excited yeah. every day, you know. Yeah, very very neat. I was I was so thrilled to uh connect with you on LinkedIn and um and learn more about this product because it's I, I think it's phenomenal. And you know, more and more people are trying to um you know, treat things more on a social and an environmental level than with drugs. And I, you know, I personally think that there's so much we can do to to treat symptoms by changing our environment. And this is a real simple way uh, for people to be able to participate in that. And um, very, you know, um, you know, cost effective. Needless to say, and we don't have to worry about contraindications, um, you know, with music. And music is just so so powerful, and you've added a new twist to it. So I think it's I think it's brilliant, Terry. And and I just I, I thank you so much for your work. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you, Terry? Uh, we have I have an email address, which is Terry mm-hmm. at audiotherapy dot com. Then I have an 800 number, which is 800-537-7748. And then we have a, the adultlullabytherapy.com website, uh, which also has the email address and where you can fill out the request, you know, the freebies to the organizations. Okay. Uh, and with also a, a little better explanation as to why I think they work, if, if that helps. Uh, and then you can hear... Uh, Three songs from each CD free it may be enough for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or you can watch one of the songs from each one of the DVDs. 
I have a Christian DVD and, and CD, and then I have the traditional lullaby, Rockabye Baby, etc., kind of songs on the other one. And, okay. Uh, but, you know, anybody that has other questions also, I'll be happy to try to answer those. So. Okay. Can you give us that 1-800 number again, Terry? It's 800-537-7748. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. If you're calling from outside the U.S., it's 719-473-0100. Okay. Great. Well, again, I, I thank you so much for all you're doing, and it just was a pleasure to, to have you on the show and be able to, to actually talk with you in person here. Keep up the great work and, and keep us posted as you develop new products. And um, like I said, I just might march down to the Insomnia Place um, next week and see if I can talk to anybody about it. And, you know, you just never know. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be um, interesting to see their reaction to it. You know, Again, yeah. they're going to say, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, Lullabies. yeah, but but you know it, it you know it, we'll never know if we don't try. And That's so um, you know, again, listeners, if you've got connections, if you think there's people that this might be able to help, you know, don't keep it to yourself. Um, be a vehicle to drive some change. Um, together, we can make a difference in a lot of people's lives by just sharing these simple conversations and um, sharing, you know, services, products, and tools that we run across uh, that can that can help one another. So again, thank you so much for your time. I can't believe our hour has just flown by here. So I need to get the get the show wrapped up, but we will definitely stay in touch with you. Okay, Terry. Well, thanks, Lori, for having me on. I appreciate it, and, and I okay. appreciate what you do. Great. Well, have a wonderful, uh, well, a wonderful weekend. It's almost upon us. So we'll talk soon, okay? Okay. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Again, for those of you that are um, interested in trying to find an Alzheimer's association in your area, you can just go to Google Alzheimer's Disease International or go to www.alz.com. Co.uk, um, or if you're looking for a clinical trial, the Alzheimer's Studies uh, .com uh, has a tau trial going on right now. Actually, I think they've got two of them. So you can uh, find them on Facebook, or you can go to www.alzheimer'sstudies.com. And again, I just so appreciate all of your your help in terms of spreading the word. If you haven't, if you wouldn't mind clicking on your like button um, or if you've got a Twitter account, go ahead and tweet this episode to people or share it with your LinkedIn or other social media groups. Your voice and your clicks make a difference. And together, we're going to change the world. So until next time, we will uh, we will be in touch. Again, remember our Dementia Chats webinar will be July 9th. And our um, next show coming up will be next Tuesday as well. And that will be an interesting, um, an interesting program. We're going to be talking about the wristband program for dementia in hospitals. We're also going to be talking about some incontinent solutions. So have a wonderful weekend. And the fourth is upon us um, here shortly. Be safe. Love you all. Bye. It's time to rethink. Renew and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. 
Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.